right, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. So before I was on staff at Redemption, I was on staff at a church called Veritas Church in Iowa City. And one of the things that we did regularly on staff that was shaping me without me even knowing it was every first Monday of the month, we did something called Staff Day Away. And the theme of Staff Day Away was always the same. It was John 15. And my mentor at the time, Mark Arendt, would always say to our staff, he would say, listen, the most important thing that you can do as a Christian on staff at a church is to connect to Jesus, to be in relationship with him. And so what Staff Day Away ensures is that you're at least connected to him one day a month. And he would always laugh when he said that because he was hoping that we spent time with Jesus more than that being in ministry. And when I raised my hand as God was calling me to plant Redemption Church in 2017, Mark wrote me a note, a handwritten note. Now, Mark never wrote me handwritten notes, so I knew this was important. And that handwritten note is still in the top drawer of my dresser. And every once in a while, when I get discouraged in ministry or something like that, I'll pull out that note. And one of the things that Mark said is, Drew, when you plant this church, you have to keep staff day away as a rhythm in the life of our church. And so tomorrow, the staff of redemption will be having staff day away. And the theme is always the same. It's always the passage that we're going to look at this morning in John chapter 15. And the reason for that is because we believe that we're really just doing one thing as Christians and as staff of this church, and that is abiding in Jesus. And what we're going to see in this passage this morning is that growing is an organic process. And so what I mean by that is I think sometimes we think of the Christian life like decorating a Christmas tree. So you take some ornaments, you put them on it. So one of the ornaments is like, love your neighbor. And one of the ornaments is serve the poor. And one of the ornaments is be kind to your spouse. And one of the ornaments is be joyful always. But what we're going to see in this passage is that the fruit in our lives is more like apples on an apple tree. And so our job is to cultivate that fruit by abiding in Jesus, not trying to produce it on our own. Okay? So the first thing that we're going to see about this organic process is that it involves enduring painful pruning. So look with me at John chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So, to his original audience, Jesus saying, I am the true vine, would have reminded them of an expectation that they had 
being good students of what we now call the Old Testament. And something like Psalm 80 would have come to their mind. So Psalm 80, starting in verse 16, says this. It's an expectation of this true vine coming. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. So in that passage, the nation of Israel was known as God's vine. And what had happened is they had failed to have spiritual life. And so they realize that God is cutting down this vine. But they have this expectation that this son who is at God's right hand, who is the true vine, is going to come and bring life to the world. And Jesus is standing on the earth looking at people in the eye and he is saying, I'm the vine. I'm the true vine. If you abide in me, you'll have life. If you fail to abide in me, you won't have life. And so he tells us, God the Father is like the vine dresser who's taking care of the vine. I'm the vine. To abide in me is to have life. To not abide in me is to not have life. And you are the branches. And what every branch needs that is abiding in the vine from time to time is something that Jesus here calls pruning. Now, the purpose of pruning in basic terms, is wounding the branch so that it is more fruitful. So here's what I realized in studying this passage. It's not our job as Christians to understand why God is wounding us in various ways, but to trust that he has our good in mind. So at one point in my sermon prep process this week, I was like, okay, I need to learn more about what this pruning process is. So I went to the source that we all go to when we're stuck. I went to YouTube. And I started watching some YouTube videos and ended up getting connected through one of those YouTube videos to an article about pruning. And I want to enlighten you the way that I was enlightened this week on what pruning is all about. So a guy named Don Jansen... Seemed pretty legit. Extension educator at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln wrote this about pruning. The first step in balanced pruning of grapevines is to study the vine and estimate the amount of one-year-old wood in pounds. Start by selecting and retaining the appropriate number of fruiting canes per vine. To aid identification, some gardeners tie brightly colored ribbons or cloth strips on those canes they wish to retain. Leave equal numbers of renewal spurs Canes pruned back to one or two buds, of course. Completely remove all remaining one-year-old canes. Next, weigh the pruned canes. The weight of the canes is used to determine the number of buds to retain on the grapevine. Right? Totally understandable. You guys get it, right? <laughs> so I read that and I thought, oh, I'm not going to understand anything about this. This is really complicated. Like, I thought it was just a, a matter of, like, grab some scissors that can cut branches, and that's all there is to it. But maybe the whole point is that we're not going to understand it. 
because we're not the vine dresser. We're the branches. Do you know what branches do in the pruning process? Nothing. Do you know how much control they have over when they get pruned or how they get pruned? None. Do they understand why it's happening? No. The vine dresser understands why it's happening. And so likewise, in our own lives, the pruning process is experienced by us as suffering that comes in various forms in our lives. And it just, to us, feels like it's hurt. it hurts. It hurts relationally. It hurts in terms of grief and loss. It hurts in a thousand different ways. And all of us, if we dug deep enough into our hearts this morning, would realize that there is some pain in that process. And I think through this passage, God is saying to us, you have to trust me. You're my child. You're my branch. You're in my vine. I have good for you. And we learn a little bit about the heart of God in this using sort of another picture, the picture of a father and his son in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 through 11. It says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not more, much more be subject to the Father of spirits and lived? For they discipline us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So maybe you're in that place in your life where you're like, amen to that line, it feels painful rather than pleasant. There is discipline that is happening in all of our lives as Christians, and it's painful. But God's purpose in it is not to bring pain into your life. His purpose in it is that your life would bear fruit, that you would be a more loving, kind, gentle, hopeful person who is buoyant. And counterintuitively, it is through pain that we gain hope and mature as Christians. So the question is, will you trust God as he prunes you or will you question God as he prunes you? Which will determine your experience of the pruning process. Okay, so part of this organic growing process is enduring painful pruning. The second thing we see, the primary exhortation in the passage, is abiding in the vine. Jesus says, picking up in John 15, 4 through 7, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, 
Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Don't we need Christianity to be simple for us? So often, we've got lists of things that we know that we're supposed to be doing, very few of which we do, and we get confused about how to grow as Christians. Like, I have to have, like, a PhD level of apologetics knowledge. I basically need to, on the side, be getting a theological degree. I need to be stepping out and serving the poor. I need to be giving my money at like this incredibly generous level. And we feel like we're paralyzed by all of the, you need to do this. Particularly those of us who grew up in the church. We're like, I've got enough dues and I can't do them. And so Jesus comes to us and he says, let me make this incredibly simple for you. Abide in me. Remain in me. See, your job is not to put Christmas ornaments on your Christmas tree. Your job is very simple. It is like a branch is connected to a vine. Your life is to be connected to Jesus. In other words, fruit in your life is not produced by you through direct effort. Fruit is produced in your life through Jesus. We only really have to do one thing. Remain in Jesus. Stay connected to him. I was reminded of this on Friday night when I went to the gopher hockey game with my boys. So sellout crowd, Gophers playing Penn State, shutout, awesome game. We had so much fun. But you know, as a dad, whenever you go to a sporting event, that you're going to be making trips outside of your seat to get drinks and go to the bathroom and those type of things. And so my son Gabe said, after the first period, he said, hey, I need to get a drink. So I said, okay, well, I'm kind of a cheapskate, so I'm not going to buy you a drink. We're going to find a drinking fountain. So we get up, and we walk up into the lobby. It's during intermission. I couldn't believe how many people went up there at that same time. And so we're walking, and my son Gabe starts to get kind of disconnected from me, starts to get distance from me, and people are packed in. And so I said, Gabe, you got to hold my hand. You have to hold my hand. And so he would grab my hand and kept wanting to kind of run in front of me. And I kept having to remind him, you have to stay connected to me. You have to hold my hand because if you don't, you'll get lost in this place. And so we held hands. We went the wrong way at one point. We ended up finding the drinking fountain, found the drinking fountain, got him what he needed, and made it back to the seat. 
Guys, there was only one thing I needed Gabe to do to make that process successful. Stay connected to me. He would have been lost without that one thing. Likewise, we get lost as Christians without this one thing to remain in Jesus, to stay relationally connected to him. So what does that look like in the life of an ordinary Christian? I think it looks like staying in relationship with him by having an awareness that he is with you, as we talked about last week, by his spirit. He lives in you. You are connected to him. And just being aware of that reality can change your entire perspective in the day. So we're relationally connected to him. Jesus said elsewhere that when his words abide in us, we are abiding in him. And so I think what that means is that what is running through our minds needs to be the word of God. Now, I learned this kind of trick a few years ago that I often think about when I'm thinking about my grasp of the word of God. And so somebody who was meeting with me for discipleship took the Bible and they held it in their hand and they said, here are sort of the different tools that you have in your arsenal to have a firm grasp on God's word. And he kind of took his pinky finger and held it up and he said, if you're only listening to God's word, like through preaching on Sunday morning, then you're going to have a really weak grasp of God's word. It's like trying to hold onto the Bible like this. But he said, if you listen to the Bible and you read the Bible, your grasp of the Bible is going to get a little bit better. Now, if you listen to and read the Bible and study the Bible, you're getting closer, you're getting better. You're going to have a, a more firm grasp of the Bible. Now, if you listen to, read, study, and memorize the Bible, your grasp is going to be even better. But I'll never forget this. He said, this is the key to having a firm grasp on the Bible. This is like the thumb that's grabbing onto the Bible. It is to meditate on God's word. If you want a firm grasp of that Bible, you meditate on God's word. So there's all different ways of doing this. For me personally, I find that when I write a passage down, it sticks with me more. So let's just say a typical morning, you've got 15 to 30 minutes to spend with God's word before you go to class or before you go to work. And let's say that day you read three chapters of the Bible. Do you know what would be a great thing for you to do so that you will be meditating on something that you read that morning? You write down the verse or the two or three verses that impacted you most when you were spending time with God that morning. You write them down on a note card. You type them into a note on your phone. And every once in a while during your day, you're just going to pick up that note card or you're going to look on your phone at that passage of Scripture and run it through in your mind. 
I think that as we do that, what we'll find is that that is our way of making connection with God again, of abiding in the vine, of grabbing onto Jesus' hand consciously and walking through the lobbies of life with him. And the final thing that Jesus said needs to characterize us as we abide in him is a certain type of prayer. He describes in this passage a bold, asking, courageous prayer. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. See, what happens if you're connected to Jesus, you're meditating on his word Your conscience is clear because you're confessing your sin to him and you're walking with him. You begin to be bold in your relationship with him. And one of the ways that that connection grows is you ask him for what you need. Do you know that Jesus wants to know what you need? If Jesus didn't care about the little things in our lives then he wouldn't care about anything because everything is little to him. So sometimes we think, I can't share that. That's such a small thing. Jesus is inviting us to share that, whatever it is. Ask him and let that connection with him grow. And then the promise, if we'll endure painful pruning, if we'll abide in the vine, Jesus promises us that our lives will be characterized By bearing much fruit. It's the third thing that we see in this text. John 15, 8 through 11. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, how many of us get into this mindset where we think of God as sort of holding this standard of his commandments over our lives, and then constantly measuring our lives against the standard, so that we feel like God is sort of this judge who's distant from us, who is expecting a lot from us, but is in no way for us. And Jesus says, I want that to get out of your mind. And I want you to understand that God the Father is invested in your spiritual growth the way that a vine dresser is invested in the fruitfulness of the vine. He wants it more than you do. Last I checked, branches don't care if they're bearing fruit or not. They don't even think about it. The vine dresser is the one who is watching over the branch to make sure that it bears fruit. And similarly, God is ensuring in your life that you will bear fruit. He wants you to succeed. He is a good dad who is cheering you on not a frowning judge who is having high expectations of you that are constantly crushing you. He wants your life to glorify him and to bear 
fruit. So Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, at first we get warm fuzzies thinking about that. We're like, oh man, that's so awesome. Like, The Father has loved his Son from eternity past, has never had a moment where he hasn't loved him. And we long to be loved like that. But when we think a little bit more deeply about that, how has the Father loved his Son? He sent his Son to suffer and to die on our behalf. And in this way, the life of Jesus was a fruitful life. Jesus is saying, I do not want to spare you the pain of life because I am so committed to you having a fruitful life. See, suffering is the pathway to fruitfulness. If we want to be followers of Jesus, the only way to be a follower of Jesus is to take the way of the cross. It's the way of suffering. Jesus has told us that if we want to be his followers, we must take up our cross daily and follow after him. And so we learn in Scripture that even Jesus himself learned obedience through what he suffered. And so as God is pruning us and he's bringing suffering into our life, we understand that it is for our good and for his glory and that his goal in it is that our lives would be fruitful. So here's our job. We have to believe that a life of obedience is synonymous with a life of joy. So here's the paradox of the Christian life. When Jesus calls you to suffer, He's calling you to joy. Isn't that what this passage is saying? In verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If you want a life of joy, you embrace a life of obedience, which at first feels like death, and seems to bring more suffering into your life, but in the end, it results in the most joyful life possible. Have you ever met an older saint who you have seen this process take place in, and you look at their life, maybe they're in their 80s, or their 90s, and you're saying, I want what they have. I remember when my wife Melissa and I were raising support for ministry and we were visiting various people in their homes and asking them to support us on a monthly basis. And we visited an old friend of my parents by the name of Evelyn Knockle. And she lived in this mother-in-law house behind her daughter's house. And we went into that house and she had very few earthly possessions. 
And we come to find out in our conversation with her that she's supporting tons of different missionaries from around the world and realize that she doesn't have enough income probably to support us. And so, you know, I was trained well in support raising, so I made the ask anyway. And she says to me, well, you know what? I have cable TV. And I don't need cable TV. Like, I can get that disconnected. And that costs me, I don't know, maybe it's $75 a month or $100 a month. So whatever that costs me, that's what I'll support you. And I remember just being totally taken back by that. Like, no way. And what I realize now is that Evelyn had learned the secret of joy in Jesus. She understood that that sacrifice, that small sacrifice, something that to many of us would feel like suffering, would bring her a longer-lasting, deeper joy. She wasn't saying, well, I'll dutifully do this. She was saying, I'll joyfully do this because I understand the ways of Jesus. I wonder if there are similar applications, similar next steps that we each need to take in our lives. Where we understand that this small act that feels like a loss, it feels like suffering. Maybe it's getting up in the morning and giving up 15 to 30 minutes to spend time in God's word. And you're like, 15 minutes or 30 minutes of sleep, that feels crazy. But maybe that's the pathway to joy. Maybe it looks like giving money to the church. You know, sometimes pastors get a bad rap because when they talk about contributing to the church, people immediately think they're talking about money. And that is what I'm talking about. Because do you know what? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so he's saying, listen, here's how the principle of the kingdom looks. If you give up things that you want, that you can buy with money, and invest that into the kingdom of God, you will have joy in your life at the end of the day. God doesn't need your money, but you need to give your money to his kingdom so that your heart is aligned with his heart. There are so many different commandments and steps that we are called to take, and every single one of them is not to put an extra burden on our life, but is to give us the pathway of joy. So here's a question. What in your life is keeping you from abiding in Jesus? What's keeping you from daily connecting to him? Is it your stubborn independence is it your money? Is it some relationship that's actually unhealthy in your life? Whatever it is that's keeping us from abiding in Jesus, Jesus is saying, if you will sacrifice that, you will find your greatest joy. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for making uh, Christianity super simple for us because if it wasn't simple, none of us would be able to do it. That it is 
not a list that crushes us, but it's an invitation to know you in relationship. God, I pray that you would give us clarity in our lives to see what is keeping us from you, from simply walking with you, knowing you, talking to you, being in your word, and producing fruit in our lives. God, we want to be people that are characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And we're all falling short in those things. But help us not to make the mistake of now trying more or just putting in a good effort. But instead, Jesus, would we run to you? Would we know you? And would you produce that fruit in our lives? In Jesus' name.